0: Okay, so open up your Bibles or your phone to Galatians chapter two. We're going to jump into it <clears throat> this week. We last week we got to uh, verse sixteen. So the last couple of weeks we've been looking at Galatians one and two, and we've been seeing how Paul was approaching the Galatians, and uh, he's confronting this thing of grace and it being mixed with the law okay and so somebody along the way had begun to paul has spent decades of his life preaching the gospel of grace and now people have come in to start telling people hey actually grace is good but also you need to do what the law says as well you need to mix the two and paul is pounding on it no 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 you are saved by grace and grace only okay so we're going to jump right into it verse 17. Again, I'm reading from the Passion Translation, but I'll go through several different translations today. Verse 17 of chapter 2. If we are those who desire to be saved from our sins through our union with the Anointed One, does that mean our Messiah promotes our sins if we still acknowledge that we are sinners? How absurd! For if I start over and reconstruct the old religious system that I've torn down with the message of grace, I will appear to be one who turns his back on the truth. All right? So this one um, I feel like gets lost a little bit in translation. And so some of the other translations, King James, for instance, it says, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin, God forbid? The New Living, it's my favorite translation in, in the simplicity of it. It says, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we're found guilty because we have abandoned the law, would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Okay. So Paul is coming against this thinking that's been planted into the Galatian church because people are coming and telling them, hey, look, yes, grace, but also if you quit doing the law, then you are no different than a, a Gentile sinner. If you quit obeying the law, you're just like a Gentile sinner. So if you quit obeying the law because of Jesus and his grace, and so you quit obeying the law because of Jesus, and then you become like a Gentile sinner because you're not obeying the law, doesn't that mean that Jesus is actually the one that's leading you into sin? And Paul is like, no, 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 no. How absurd is this thought? No, you're completely missing the point. And he's going to spend the next several verses working on explaining this. But let's backtrack a little. Kingdom translation of verse 15, which we worked on last week. It says this, We are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. But we know that a person is not declared righteous by works of the Jewish law, but through the faithfulness of Jesus the Messiah. Say Amen. That is why we too believed in the Messiah Jesus so that we might be declared righteous on the basis of the Messiah's faithfulness and not on the basis of the works of the Jewish law. On that basis, you see, no creature will be declared righteous. Paul says, nobody gets declared righteous based on what they do, only based on Jesus and what he did. Verse 17, well then, if in seeking to be declared righteous in the Messiah, we ourselves are found to be sinners, like the Gentile sinners for not obeying the law, does that make the Messiah an agent of sin? Certainly not. Okay? So he's making it clear, no, that is not true. It doesn't work that way. Let me explain a little bit more. He goes on to verse 18. He says, if I build up once more the things which I tore down, I demonstrate that I'm a lawbreaker. So at this point, when Paul is saying these things, he's 17, 18 years into this journey of telling people, you don't have to follow the law anymore. Jesus Christ came to die for your sins, and he is the reason you stand before God as righteous. So he's spent decades of his life Declaring this one thing. So now if Paul goes back and says, actually, let's go ahead and start obeying the law again and rebuild up what he's been tearing down for 17, 18 years at this point. What would happen, Paul says, is that he would actually then, in trying to obey the law, prove to everybody that he himself could not fulfill the law. And that he was a sinner and that he was judged to death for his own sins and was also in need of a savior is what he's saying. Okay. Okay, that one's a little, little wild one. Okay, so it says, let me explain it like this, verse 19. It was when I tried to obey the law that I was condemned with a curse, because I'm not able to fulfill every single detail of it. But because the Messiah lives in me, I've now died to the law's dominion over me, so that I can live for God in heaven's freedom. The Passion Translation is the only one that talks about the curse like that. Kingdom Translation in verse 19 says, let me explain it like this. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with the Messiah. Okay? Because of the law, I was cursed to death because of my sins. The law showed me it's impossible to be holy and perfect and that I would forever in need be, be in need of a redeemer to save my life. But because Jesus lives in me, that means I also am in him, and I died on the cross along with him. Which means that my sins are paid for, and I've been redeemed, and I now have killed the life of law living. I get to live freely in Christ, in the heavenlies, fully accepted to God. Okay? Everybody's eyes are like, okay. (laughs) So basically, Paul's saying, I lived in the law the law proved that I could not fulfill the law. The law brought me to the end of myself. The law showed me that I needed a savior. And because Jesus is in me and I in Jesus, I died on the cross with Jesus and all of my sins were paid for on the cross. Hallelujah. So now I'm dead to my old life and I'm new in a new living life with Jesus. Okay? all right. Let's move on. Verse 20. Paul says, My old identity has been crucified with the Messiah. It no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the Anointed One lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into me. Okay? So because Jesus died as a redeemer, he died as a ransom, his life was in exchange for your life, one for another. That means that your life has been purchased with the very costly substance of the blood of Jesus. Is that true? You have been redeemed. You have been purchased. You have been bought with a price. And so now your life is not yours any longer. Paul says, my life is no longer mine, but it's actually God's, as if God had purchased a slave. But what's so great is God didn't purchase a slave. His desire was for sons and daughters. And so God purchased you so that you could be in his family as a son, as an heir, as a prince alongside with him. Amen? Verse 20, I love the way Passion Translation says this. It says, my new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God. So say that with me. My new life is empowered... By the faith of the Son of God. All right, King James says, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Kingdom translation says, I live within the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But like I said, my favorite is the passion because it says my new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. I think this is a really big deal. What does it mean for somebody or something to be empowered by something else? When something is empowered by something else, there is a force behind that that is pushing or catapulting the one ahead. So the Bible says your new life in Jesus is empowered by Jesus' faith. Okay? So track with me. Your life in Jesus is powered by Jesus' faith, his belief in what God said. Okay? So keep following with me. When something on earth is empowered by something else, maybe we think of Red Bull sponsoring some of the most amazing athletes in the world. Okay? It gives you wings, they used to say. So their sponsorship... Would recognize something inside of somebody and they would put money and energy and effort behind that athlete and they would give them the finances, they would give them the time to practice, they would give them the tools of the trade so that they could become the very best to do what they only could do. All right? Um, Maybe we think of the president being empowered by the votes of the people. And the majority saying yes, or almost majority saying yes, we empower you to be president. Or maybe a singer performing in front of thousands of people, and the the fans are cheering and and screaming and yelling, and the performance, the performer is giving everything they can. They're doing the performance of a lifetime. They are empowered by the cheers of their fans, okay? So to be empowered by Jesus' faith, that means to me that I'm fueled and propelled forward in life to do great and incredible things that I could not do without that empowering force. I think Paul is, in a sense, saying your new life in Christ, it is empowered by Christ. It is fueled by Christ. It is sponsored, in a sense, by Christ, if you will. Jesus' faith was to believe the word of God and that by doing Dying on the cross for mankind, we could then be made right and become a part of God's family. Jesus literally staked his life on his belief that God would do what he said he would do if Jesus would do what he said he'd do. So, what's it mean to be empowered by that faith? The faith of Jesus was perfect, it literally created the world. It was all-powerful. It's the most powerful substance in the universe. The faith of Jesus is like the power of an atomic bomb, unleashing incredible amounts of energy wherever it goes. So the Bible says you are empowered by that faith. You are fueled by that faith. Your power, your sponsorship, your strength, your motivation, your juice to keep on going comes directly from the faith of Jesus. So if you're empowered by an unlimited power source, Will you ever run out of power? If you have an energy source that literally never runs out, will you ever run out of what you need to keep going? If you're powered by the faith of Jesus, is there any obstacle that can shut you down or stop you in your tracks? Paul says you are empowered Jesus' faith to keep going, and he gives you everything you need to continue to do what you're called to do, what only you can do, like a sponsor, okay? So what would you do if you had the faith of Jesus? If you could literally access the exact same faith that Jesus had on the earth, his face was, it was perfect. Every single person who ever came to Jesus was healed on the spot, Right? Jesus, in every single situation, he fully understands the heart of God. He fully understands what God is doing in that moment, and he's able to declare it 100% accurate every single time. What if you could tap into that power? What would, how would your life look different? Now think of it, what we've been talking about, you are powered by that same faith. Okay? Okay. The more capacity that we create in our lives to produce more faith in our lives opens up the door to access more of that kind of faith that Jesus walked in. Now, there's a few other translations that use this verse. They say it a little bit differently. So here's what the ESV and the NIV both say. I think both are so powerful. And I think it gets lost in translation in English a little bit. So you have the one Translation saying, you are empowered by the faith of Jesus. And then ESV, NIV, Amplified, they say this. Now the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Do you hear the difference? Okay. Amplified says this. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith, by adhering to, relying on, and completely trusting in in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So one is you are empowered by Jesus' faith, and the other says you live by faith in Jesus. You see the two different sides? Yeah? Okay, so let's go down this rabbit trail and see what that means to you. If all of your life choices were directed by the pure belief in Jesus' undying love for you, If every single thing that you did, you did out of the pure understanding of, wow, Jesus died for me. Jesus loved me with all of his heart. He died for me. He changed his whole world for me specifically. How would every decision that I make look different? If I made every decision every day from that proper mindset that Jesus loved me so much that he literally died a brutal death just so that I could be in his family with God, what if that was the central decision-making criteria of my life? What would be different? A few things that wouldn't be that would be different, I would not fear things like money. That like I would understand fully. If Jesus loved me so much that he left all of heaven, all of his throne to come and lay down his life for me, because he loved me so that I could be in his family with God, fully accepted. Wow, if I fully understood that, there would be no fear whatsoever of what happens tomorrow, what happens next month, what happens with my finances. Oh, gosh, I don't know if I'm going to have enough. Because I would understand, no, that's the least of his thoughts. He loves me so much. He did that for me. Well, of course, my good father is going to take care of me in this situation, right? If I fully understood, I wouldn't be... Having any sort of comparison when I look at other people and say, wow, look at, look at how great their life is. I wish my life was like that. There would be no comparison because I would think to myself, Jesus literally loved me so much. He died for me so that I could be with God. They have such an amazing plan for me. And I don't give a rip what the plan is for other people. His plan for me is so good. And then I also wouldn't have any fear of, oh, my gosh, I hope I don't miss it. I hope I don't misstep. I hope I don't miss the will of God. Because if they loved me so much that he died on the cross for me so that I could be right with God and be in his family, then by golly, he's going to do whatever it takes to make sure that I'm walking in the right steps. He's going to make sure if I want to know that I know what his will is for me. Right? So either way, if you translate it this way, of my new life is powered by faith in Jesus, or if you translate it by my new life is empowered by Jesus' faith, it's an amazing new life, right? And we need to be challenged by that. We need to, I think we need to just take the time to sit and realize, holy smokes, this is incredible. Like He really did leave it all just so that we could be right with God without having to do anything to be right with God. Let's go on to verse 21. So that's why I don't view God's grace as something minor or peripheral. For if keeping the law could release God's righteousness to us, the anointed one would have died for nothing. Let's just say it again in another way. If there was any possible way God could have prevented Jesus' horrific death on the cross by man living rightly before God, he absolutely would have. If there was any other way, he absolutely would have. And I think Jesus in the garden, when he's praying, God, if, if this is your will, let it be. If there's any other way, let it be. There was no other way. This was the way. It's Jesus coming and dying on the cross, paying for all of your sins so that you could be right with God. And Paul says, this is why I don't view God's grace as something minor or peripheral. I think he's, again, addressing an argument presented to him from the Galatians where they're coming and saying, yes, Jesus is good. We totally agree with Jesus. He was amazing. He was great. And we should follow him. But we should also follow the law because the law is important too. Yes, Jesus' grace is good, but it's just a part of the puzzle. Let's also pay attention to the law. And Paul here is saying, no, grace is not peripheral. It's not on the side. It's not a tiny thing grace is the issue of your life you don't have to do anything to be right with God because Jesus already did it all it's already been paid for his grace is the issue of your life the issue of your life you are 100 accepted into God's family as a perfect child of God and an heir to the throne not because of anything you have ever done but only because of what Jesus did on the cross amen Goodness, I love it. Do you ever feel like you have to do anything in order to take your rightful place before God? That's not acting consistently with the revelation of the grace gospel. This grace gospel, it is not a peripheral thing. It is the main issue that we've got to get right in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits with God. It's not based on anything you do. It's only based on what Jesus did for you. And if you have any trace left of that religious, I've got to do, I've got to work, I've got to check these boxes off to be right before God, you've got to throw it out the window because it is not true. Amen? Okay. Chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says this. He says, what has happened to you Galatians to be acting so stupidly? You must have been under some evil spell to have missed the revelation of truth. The Amplified says, Oh, you foolish and thoughtless and superficial Galatians, who has bewitched you that you would act like this? In King James, it says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? So bewitched in the strongs it means to malign, to fascinate by false representations, to speak ill of one, to slander, traduce him, to bring evil on one by feigning praise or an evil eye to charm or to bewitch. Everybody know the evil eye, like we we say that term sometimes. Like, oh, I'm gonna give you the evil eye. Well, back in the day, the evil eye was legit <laughs> magic. And they would evil eye people, and they would convince them to do things they did not know that they were doing. When somebody got bewitched, they would do things that made no sense to the logical mind. Why are you acting like that? You what have what happened to you? What are you doing? When I was at Baylor, they used to have this party. It was this huge party that Baylor paid for and the whole school would come out. So we're talking at least 10,000 people are out there on the field enjoying all sorts of crazy games like tug-of-war and all sorts of inflatable fun and just competitions and this different kind of stuff, music and speakers and whatever. Well, the main event of this whole party at Baylor is they would have a stage, and every single year, Baylor would pay for a hypnotist to come and to hypnotize Baylor's students (laughs) on stage, in front of thousands of people, and uh, I still, I am bewildered every time I think about this story. (laughs) I was bewildered when I was there watching it happen, and I eventually quit going to the party, because I was like, this is so wrong. (laughs) What are we doing? Christian school, but it was like, it was honestly hilarious to watch. I don't know if you've, raise your hand if you've ever seen somebody get hypnotized. Have you ever seen it on TV? Anybody? So, it's, it just it makes no sense. But hypnotism is bewitching. Bewitching is hypnotism, okay? Same thing in today's realm. So these people would come up on stage, and this guy would be up there. there. Let's say a dozen people would go up on stage, and they'd have chairs. And he would say a few words and snap his fingers and bada bing, bada boom. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows where they are. Nobody knows what clothes they're wearing or not wearing. Some people start thinking that they're chickens, and in front of thousands of people are now acting like chickens and dogs and other farmyard animals. It was crazy. It was hilarious. (laughs) But it was awful, straight-up demonic, okay? They were bewitched, and you would sit and watch these nicely-dressed, Seemingly very appropriate, very smart, very well-to-do people, be completely humiliated in front of thousands with no idea what's happening. Okay? Paul looks at the Galatian church. And he's spent 17 years preaching grace with the Galatian church. And he looks at them trying to go back to the law, to come under the curse, trying to get back into it and prove to God on their own that they can be accepted by what they do. And he looks at them and he says, you've been hypnotized. You have been bewitched. You idiots, what are you doing? This makes no sense. This is ridiculous. Stop it. He's trying to use the strongest language that he knows how to use for their day. He says, what happened to you? You must have been put under some evil spell to have missed the revelation of the truth. Verse 1 continued. He says, didn't God open your eyes to seeing the meaning of Jesus' crucifixion? Wasn't he revealed to you as the manifestation of wisdom? That's what the Passion Translation says. Yours probably says something more like, Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath evidently set forth, crucified among you. And The Passion Translation comes out of the Aramaic text. But it can also be translated like this. Didn't Jesus, wasn't he displayed before you as the master artisan? Wasn't he displayed before you as the the fashioner, the creator? Wasn't he displayed before you as the master craftsman, the one who made it all? Okay? Which I love that. I think it's so beautiful. But the other versions kind of just say he was put out there as crucified among you. Verse 2. So answer me this. Did the Holy Spirit come to you as a reward for keeping all the Jewish laws? No, you received him as a gift because you believed in the Messiah. And I love this little section because Paul gets a little sassy. He says, look, look, okay, guys, all I want to know, I just want one, one answer. One answer. I have one question. Answer me one thing. That's all I want to know. Answer this one thing. NASB says, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. This is it. This is the one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by the law, or uh, by the working of the law, or by hearing of faith? Kingdom Translation says, there's just one thing I want to know from you. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the Torah or by hearing and believing? Paul's trying to make it as plain as humanly possible. There's only one question. This is the only thing I care to know. Answer this, regarding the Holy Spirit, did he come because of what you did for hundreds of years or because of grace through what Jesus did? And if you remember that the Holy Spirit, he came to the first church in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. Okay? On the day of Pentecost, it's about a month, just over a month after Jesus has left the earth. And they've been waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, all of a sudden, this is the day traditionally that they remember the law. This is the day that God gave the law to the people. And on the day that God gave the law to the people, 3,000 people died the first Pentecost because they could not stand before God as righteous. It is impossible to stand before God as righteous under the law. So for hundreds of years, year after year after year, they remember God giving the law and thousands of people dying because they could not stand up before God as righteous. Year after year after year after year. And now less just over a month after Jesus leaves the earth, he promises the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes to Jerusalem. And it's like the sound of an earthquake. It's the sound of a strong wind or, or tornado. It's this beautiful sound that the whole city hears. Everybody comes out, what in the world? And then they see something like flaming tongues of fire roaming about the city and then landing above people's heads. And they're speaking in languages that they don't know. And people that hear their languages from different countries are now hearing the gospel proclaimed. It is not by works. It is by the grace of Jesus Christ. By his righteousness, you receive that gift. And in that one day, 3,000 people come to Jesus and get life. So this has just happened 16 years after, 17 years after. And Paul says, let's just remember that day. Let's just remember the day when the Spirit of God came upon you in such a mighty and powerful way. Just answer this one question. This is all I want to know. If you can answer this for me, I'll leave you alone. Did the Holy Spirit come because of your hundreds of years of trying to obey the law? Or did the Holy Spirit come because of the grace of God? Because you heard and because you believed. That's what he says. The Holy Spirit is received by those who accept him as a gift that comes through belief in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes through faith, and faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. So when you hear God's word, it creates faith in you. And faith creates belief, and belief opens the door for you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm going to say it again because it's really important. When you hear God's word, it creates faith in you. Faith creates belief. Belief opens the door for you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you hear God's word, it creates faith. Faith creates belief. Belief opens the door for you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't do anything to receive the Holy Spirit. You cannot earn the Holy Spirit. You cannot deserve the Holy Spirit. You cannot merit more of the Holy Spirit. It can't be done. You receive the Holy Spirit only as a gift of believing the Word of God. So if you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life, what can you do? You need to hear more of the Word of God to you. And you need to understand that you can't earn more of the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He comes to you as a gift for believing. If you want more of him, then hear more of the word of God so that you build more faith. And by building more faith, you open a larger pathway for receiving more of the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. The human spirit has a limited capacity. And I was talking to the Holy Spirit this morning about these things. And I was asking him the question, and he began to speak to me about this. So here's what I felt like the Spirit said this morning. He said, I love what you're talking on today about me and how I don't come to people because they do anything, but because of hearing and belief in the word of God, which creates a pathway and access for me to come into their lives. That's 100% the case. I love this. If people want more of me in their lives, they must create more space in their lives for me. They create more space for me by hearing the word of God and by believing it through faith. The hearing and believing will push out stuff that's in the way and will create more of a void through hunger. And that void through hunger draws me even more to come and fill them up. The hungry are blessed because they will be filled. And it's that simple. Getting more of me is all about your capacity. The human spirit is a certain size it can be filled up. It can reach its capacity. It can get to the point of overflowing simply because there's no more space left to hold me. So if having more of me is all about your capacity how do you get more capacity? You move things out. You clear the way for more of me. You prepare the way. Just like on your cell phone when you needed more space, you'd go through and you'd delete pictures and you'd get rid of text and you'd get rid of videos and music and you'd move them off of your hard drive so that you'd have more room. Exact same thing. Your spirit functions the same way. What are the things that can be deleted or moved out This is more abstract because it can be so many things. But basically, it can be what you spend your time doing, watching, listening to, talking about, or reading. On the most basic level, it's the things you are putting into your brain through your five senses, especially your sight and your hearing. Your spirit is filled primarily through sight and sound. So if your life is full of hearing and seeing other things besides me, you don't have much capacity for me For more of me in your life. And if you don't have much more capacity for me, then you won't be able to hear more of the word of God or see as Jesus did. And if you can't hear what I'm saying or see what I'm doing, then you'll have no ability to produce faith. Because faith comes from hearing. And in the kingdom, you often hear by seeing. So all that to say, if you want more of me in your life, you must provide more time to hear and see. Plain and simple. End of quote. (laughs) Isn't that good? I think it's so good. So just to recap all of that, I feel like the Holy Spirit said, you produce faith by hearing the Word of God. Okay? If you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life, there's nothing you can do to earn or merit or deserve there's no brownie points with the Holy Spirit, okay? It doesn't work that way. There's literally nothing. It's just a gift. you got to receive it. But you might challenge me and say, but Grant, isn't, isn't the work of meditating and hearing and listening and spending time in the work, isn't that work, isn't that doing, isn't that then earning more of the Holy Spirit? And that's a fair argument, but to that I would say this. If I were to offer All of you, $1 million, which I'm not, just for clarity's sake. (laughs) If I were to offer you a million dollars, I said, hey, a million dollars for anybody who shows up to my house today at five o'clock, it's yours. You can have it. And you hear the words, but you don't believe the words. By your not believing the words, you have shut down the capacity in your life to receive the gift that I'm offering you of a million dollars, right? But anybody who hears the words and believes, they have opened the capacity. And if they will act on what they heard and believe, they will show up and they will receive a gift. You'll receive the gift of a million dollars into your bank account. Did you do anything to deserve that money in your bank account? Not one thing. It was 100% a gift. But even still, you had to hear And believe in order to open and have the capacity to receive the gift into your life. Amen? So that's like what the Holy Spirit said to me this morning. You can't earn more of me. You can't do anything more to get more of me aside from hear more, which produces faith. Hearing the word of God produces faith. Hearing more of the word of God produces faith spending more time in the word, listening more to sermons, spending more time listening to God's voice, spending more time seeing in the spirit realm, that is hearing more of the word of God. You hear more of the word of God, it will produce, it will grow faith inside of you. Faith will turn to belief. Belief will open the door for greater access of the Holy Spirit to come into your life. Amen? Amen. Verse three. We're going to wrap it up here. Three through five. Your new life in the anointed one began with the Holy Spirit giving you a new birth. Why then would you so foolishly turn from living in the Spirit to become slaves again to your flesh? Do you really think you can bring yourself to maturity in the anointed one without the Holy Spirit? King James says, are you so foolish? Have you begun in the Spirit and now... You think you're going to be made perfect by the flesh? Verse 4, have you endured all these trials and all these persecutions for nothing? Let me ask you again, what does the lavish supply of the Holy Spirit in your life and the miracles of God's tremendous power have to do with you keeping religious laws? The Holy Spirit has poured out upon us through the revelation and power of faith, not by keeping the law. I love it. The kingdom translation says the one who gives you the spirit and performs powerful deeds among you. Does he do this through your performance of the Torah or through hearing and believing? Amen. And that's where we're going to end. But I'll leave you with the same last question. The lavish supply of the Holy Spirit in your life, his miracle working power, it comes into your life only through hearing and applying faith in what you hear. It has nothing to do with you earning, deserving, or meriting that supply in your life. And so the challenge for us today is to search our hearts and say, God Where can I produce more capacity in my spirit to be able to receive more of you? Because I understand my spirit, it's got a limited capacity. And I fill it up with TV. I fill it up with radio. I fill it up all the time with things I hear. But, God, I want to produce more capacity so that I can hear more of you, so I can receive more of you in my life. Amen? So let's stand up. Let me pray for you guys and we'll be all done. Father, we just thank you. We thank you, we thank you that your beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with any one of us doing anything specific to receive more of you. Thank you. That is purely by hearing and believing. So we, we thank you for the words today that we need to produce more capacity so that we can hear you more, so we can be more filled up with you. Help us, God. Help every single person. Holy Spirit, we give you permission today to speak to us, to show us places where we fill up our spirits with stuff that is not of you so that we can move those things out and give you more of a place to come and reside in our lives and come and be with us and come and lead us. We love you so much. We're so thankful for your grace. We're so thankful for our position in the family of God that is only given to us by the gift of righteousness that Jesus gave us. Thank you, Lord. And all the people said, Amen, Amen. amen.